I'm pretty sure it's because Starlink doesn't use your normal concentrated directional. It mm-hmm. uses wave interference okay. as part of how it's it's transceiving. So because it's wave interference, it's able to penetrate the water, whether it's frozen or liquid, snow or rain, so, so much better because it would be pouring down buckets. We were still getting decent throughput. And with HughesNet, that was never the case. Okay, so cool. what you're talking about is a uh, rain rain fade, right? And so it comes down to the frequency band, right? So in satellite, there's KU, KA, C band, X band. And then obviously there's some like IF bands in between there, right? The higher the frequency mm-hmm. band, right? The more you're susceptible to uh, rain uh, delegation, right? So rain fade, uh, snow, stuff like that. Um, so C band, X band, those like lower bands, right? They're not affected by rain at all. But um, Robin is right, though. There's a lot of satellites. So it's a LEO, so low Earth orbit satellites, mm-hmm. right? So there's a bunch of them. You're connecting to them like all, all at once. Also, the frequency band is not nearly up in the KAKUs, so you're not as affected, right? Um, so the reason the heater is on the antenna is because if snow just sits on the dish, then that actually <laughs> is a problem, right? Uh, because it's like a, it's like a, a solid over the yep. uh, antennas. So. Okay. Feral cats and other feral animals love to sit yes, on dishes. I have, I have seen those memes, yeah. yeah. We Sounds like you with- know what you're doing with this, Ralph, in uh, past life. It, yeah, <laughs> I, I was in, did uh, do this as a past life. That's why, uh, that's why like, DirecTV and satellite, or, like, uh, DirecTV and Dish or whatever, they use C-band to transmit that signal. So it could be pouring rain like crazy where their um, teleport sites are. And it's not like your TV goes out because it's raining in Atlanta where they're sending out the TV signal. You know what I'm saying? Wow, I've you seen Star Trek. I know how teleporting works. <laughs> we we got to get you wow. and, and Noah on a video about satellites. And, and that's how <laughs> that's how baby satellites are made. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when two teleporters love each other very much. <laughs> I think it does take nine months to get a satellite in the orbit. Uh, it takes a little longer More than, than that, that, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, does. Yeah. it does. Pretty expensive. <laughs> I was in uh I was in the Philippines for three weeks and I was expecting to see like some satellites or at least some like Starlink somewhere because I wasn't expecting everyone there to actually have fiber mm-hmm. and I was in awe like the Philippines had quicker internet than I did and I was kind oh, of our upset. internet sucks yeah you you yeah I, I'm like I'm we invented trans. it and then we're like we can't have the best version yes. of this Let's, it's like inventing so. a sandwich and then you only eat like the most grossest sandwich out there <laughs> so years ago one of the classified programs I worked on they were making they were putting a satellite up into space which I hope is obscure enough and this was not a cheap satellite like billions and billions and billions of dollars dollars. in the room everyone was excited and it started deploying and then it stopped and then they retracted and they started deploying and it stopped so what it was was a bracket like an l bracket was put on backwards shut down like billions of dollars of like money so but Space Force went so, and shot it with so their AR-15s. Like, hooray! Hooray! Oh, oh. <laughs> it's like a $15 oh, part. 
who's responsible for that bracket? Someone literally ran moving. out of the room. <laughs> talk, yeah, talk about a resume some, generating event. Like, I think Misha and some computers happened. <laughs> You, yeah, you no, guys asked the intern to check on it. <laughs> the intern to John, put in the brackets. Yeah. John, why don't you take a high-quality podcasting mic with you everywhere you go? I have one right here. Is it oh, not coming to this mic? Go. Yeah. Uh, I don't Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I think it is, actually, because you picked it up Ryan and started, question. sounded closer. I, I'm honestly shocked okay that you had it. I was kind of... Uh, that's pretty funny. He, he, he tried to make a joke, and you actually called him on it. And it <laughs> You're like, oh, I do. I, this is in my carry-on now. <laughs> Is this not high quality enough for you? (laughs) Hello and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news. Today, we're going to be talking about how artificial intelligence is better at talking to people than most penetration testers. We're going to talk about Russians trying to break into banks, AWS, how you can save costs on AWS. Logic controller flaws raises the specter of Stuxnet back again. If that's not clickbait, I don't know what is. And then we're going to be talking about how Meta is suing, scraping for higher services that allow you to sell user data. Ooh, all kinds of deja vu. Deja vu. It's almost like we've discussed this all over again. How dare you do Here that? Here we go. Um, but I want to jump straight into the uh, the AI can like simulate anyone's voice with only three seconds of audio. That's that's kind of impressive from an audio an audio engineering. Like that's wow. That's something. I need this for phone fishing. I mean, and the reason why I would like to throw this out there is for pen testing. Seriously, I mean, we were joking about it from social engineering, but we weren't joking about it for social engineering. We're totally getting to the point, like in movies, where like Mission Impossible, where they have the vocal box where it changes your voice to yeah. sound like the person. Mm. Think about social engineering engagements where you can call someone and literally sound like their boss. That's what we're getting to right now. I feel like it's going to... I mean, I'm just so skeptical of this kind of stuff. I feel like it's going to choke hard on technical stuff. It's going to be like, the typical <laughs> connection went to the unip- <laughs> connection or something. Like, it's going to... like I don't know. Error. Like It's, it's not going to, you know... Or be like, go to the link, and then it's going to, like, read out the link. <laughs> Facebook.com. Like, I don't know. I just, it's going to be... It's Trust me. UDP, I've used UDP, Siri... UDP. Yeah, it, it's just it, like I'm so skeptical. I, but that being said, I'm still gonna try it. I'm so yeah, try it. I'm still totally gonna try it, even though, like Corey said, you might want to test it. When, when are we gonna need well, to secure about, the phone systems for this test? Think of about stuff, how okay? it is now. I fall, I would say, like once a month, whenever somebody calls the house and they're like, Hello, is John Strand there? And I'm like, Yeah, this is John Strand. Hey, John, how you doing? I'm doing great. Who's this? Well, mm-hmm. I'm really happy that you asked me that because I'm like, God damn it, I felt it again. <laughs> uh, John, you answer the phone when like it actually you don't know the number. That's, I don't have any choice. I guess that's true. I guess, uh, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. I I saw there was like a good a TikTok somewhere where it was about the age limit of when you start answering the phone if you don't know yeah. the number, because I don't answer the phone ever. Like if 
call me, leave a message, and I'll call you back. But yeah. I think, and that's like my only defense against this type of attack. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. literally Moses Lack from The Simpsons. It's like, you know, hello, I'm I'm looking for Mr. Freely. Initials IP. You know, IP Freely. Where's IP Freely? <laughs> and the kids and Eric are all laughing at me. The dog farts. And there we go. It's just, it's a good time. Yeah, and then the other fifty percent of the time, it's some huge company being like, "Hey, John, we want to hand you a giant pile of money. Are you in?" <laughs> Usually, if they did that, be like, um, "I'm gonna have to get you in contact with the CEO of Black Hills Information Security, CJ Cox. Just call him. He deals with big things." Sounds like you can just forward your phone to CJ. Probably. Yeah. Solved. Why? Why uh, is it your house phone just going to CJ? <laughs> you guys, you just solved my problem of what to do with CJ. He can be my secretary. <laughs> wow. I just Wait, want this is to know we did not come up with that. I thought your personal secretary. Not just my your personal secretary. Your personal secretary. Yeah, and you can make um fake voicemails. Oh man. This, oh, dude, this it's going to be a thing. Like, I, I think it's going to be rough for like a year, but I think within a year, social engineering engagements, we're going to script that and just have it smooth like Ooh. butter. So are you saying that we're going to need like a secret passcode when people call? Yeah. What is my secret passcode? They're going to be like, yeah. Or <laughs> imagine like your phone, your phone number is like signed by a certificate, yeah. right? So yeah. then like you like only you call, to, you have to only receive from the sign to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. My voice is no longer my passcode. Yeah. So, so Eric okay. was asking. Eric was asking. So they will be able to impersonate your voice from an outgoing voicemail message. Yes. Ooh. In very low quality. That. Yes. So I've actually. I I want to bring this up because I've done a little bit of pen testing on like voice biometric systems. Like voice printing is actually a thing that a lot of financial institutions do, where they're like register your voice as your password. Um, and I've done a decent <laughs> amount of testing on them, and it's the, uh -huh. it's not. It's secure. I mean, it's not as easy to bypass as you would think. This is a new AI that might be better at it, but like it's it's actually cryptographically pretty interesting and and it's not like as trivial as being like Hi, I'm John Strand. Like, <laughs> uh, there's that's a lot of like audio. There's John a lot of Strand, audio huh? engineering and other pieces that go into it. That being said, I think we should have Morgan Freeman record our Black Hills voicemail. So it's like, yes. thanks you don't even need to have him record it. Just take some of his movies, like three seconds of him talking in a movie, and you guys can just. <laughs> so can he? Well, that's sue what I mean. That's what I'm saying. We like use the this? AI. Yeah, it'll be perfect. Yeah. My, my understanding. Wow, this is Arnold. The soundboards of 2005 would like to have a word with you. Right. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. The, the, the three second sample, I think, is probably the, the piece of this article that's actually clickbait because we've been doing phonetic speech systems for a long time. Like the voice from uh, the computer Star from Star Trek yep. is Gene Roddenberry's wife. And to make sure that, that, that they could continue to make the computer say whatever they wanted, through the series, they had her record all the what is it phenomes, um, right? Yeah, things. So the three seconds they're talking about, to my understanding, is very specific. It's almost like the sneakers thing that Ryan mentioned. Like my voice is my passport. Please authenticate me. You need to have a certain number of those phenomes to to put it together. But yeah. what movie was it where they were doing that? Where they were talking? There was a movie where they were literally doing that. Where they said, "Get them to say these words." And after they got them to see, what was it? Sneakers? I thought there was a more recent one where they were trying to do it as well. I, I thought it was like a Mission Impossible. Well, Top Gun, the Val, 
Yeah, well, Top Gun, the guys, the one of the main actors d- doesn't have a voice anymore, but they like synthesized his voice. That might Val be what Kilmer. you're talking Val about. Val Kilmer. So anyway, yeah. it's scary. It's real. It's also if you've used any of these, it's going to be easy for humans to detect if it's fake, probably. But only if you really know the person. You like, know, you, you have to I like. Get- a salesperson will fall for this absolutely. Yes. I'm gonna tell like, you, that you right have now. to be yeah, you have to like how do I defend internet, against you this is what I tell. think. Like, yeah. you have to like know ago, there was an article that came out about a South African energy company and they had gotten hit for like a, a vishing thing for like two hundred thousand dollars or some some fairly large sum of money. It might have been a million. And the reason that they transferred the money in the, the big you know article was like oh oh this is uh this is this uh ai it's a deep fake it was deep fake is what they said but in reality when you started digging into it there was no evidence of it being a deep fake what it was was there's this guy in south africa and the german holding company that holds it somebody called in with a roughly german accent it was like yes we need you to go through and we need you to transfer the money you know like whatever my german's horrible uh but they were saying they're like well i've never talked to the ceo before but that guy did sound german so click and that was it <laughs> and that was the whole thing so yeah people are going to fall for it absolutely yeah but you don't need ai for that ruse terrible it doesn't matter it's just yeah be the a- ai yeah it's like the uncanny just, valley though where people are good at like that if you're close to human but you're not you're actually very scary so like i don't know it's also i, I know I, i'm I know just waiting for up, for like uh for like pen testing firms to start hiring somebody like uh lavar jones in uh police academy i just had to look up his name oh. michael winslow <laughs> I remember that dude oh, yeah. he could, like make any sound mm-hmm. with his voice and be like yeah we don't need ai we got this guy <laughs> it's like a police academy reference so, oh, i want to go to another story though real quick um from motherboard uh this one's about russian hackers they so you, you were talking about clickbait stories ian just a little while ago and this this russian hacker story is kind of I'm, I don't, don't like this story. It. I just want to cover the, cover that. Like, it basically <laughs> says Russian hackers tried to break into the U.S.'s top nuclear re- uh, lab, says a report. <laughs> and we don't know if they got anything because there's no proof that they got in. We just know that they tried to get in. Maybe <laughs> they're trying. Guys. It, they it, scanned it's funny us. One of it is like Reuters was not able to determine why specifically the labs were targeted. We know why they were targeted, right? <laughs> well, this was generated by AI. Yeah, because that's what they say in every news article. They actually it was actually showed in and uh they got the IP wrong. No. <laughs> yeah, my monopixel just nailed it. Noah said, Isn't this their job? Like this should the, the whole point of this article is like Russian hackers doing their job. Carry on. Like Carry this on. shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Yeah. Oh. Should we make an article that uh, corresponds to this and basically says defenders at the nuclear labs tried to defend against these attacks? (laughs) Yes, we should. Like, is that that newsworthy now? And then a PGM. What we need to do is we need to to create the InfoSec security onion. Um, like, like, all just, written by chat gpt chat, is it like all a blooming onion like a deep fried <laughs> yeah, so i don't know but like the onion but for information security like you know hackers tried to hack today it was wednesday 
If we used uh, <laughs> if we used blooming onion, we could use the word blue and then use it as a defensive uh, oh, security yeah. article too. You're in market. I like market. this idea way. <laughs> so uh, are we just are we going to start a Black Hills news uh, organization where we just make up fake news and 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 uh, say like <laughs> defenders at Lawrence Livermore were very busy as they did their job. It's <laughs> <laughs> about to be the, the new. It's about to be a new slash dot. Hold on, zoom in on Idaho because isn't that where Lawrence is? Zoom in. Yeah, on, there's nothing yeah, happening in Idaho. Whoa, whoa. Whoa. Oh, wait, I saw something. Wait, where's John's house? Oh, there it is. Nope, it's it's. Oh, my, I'm on, I'm with, in the U and the N right there above the, the N. U. That's that's yeah, my house. That, right wow. there. Good job. Right there. Hey, don't, don't don't rub it like that. You're just gonna make it excited. Don't do that. Yeah, you, you touch the threat map a lot. You actually release a zero day. That's how you get yeah. a DDoS. Uh, I'm hacking other places and I'm hacking space. Apparently, I, oh I don't my know. Oh, Where's the Bermuda Triangle? Why doesn't the Bermuda? This, like, I feel like it should play this, into this. This is how the Aurora like, Borealis is made, right? So, like, like it's an InfoSec Onion article would have something like this, and it says security analyst gets promoted strictly by sharing out a pew pew map in real time. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's happened too. You know that's happened. <laughs> Okay, we need to move on. Let's try to go to another. Um, um, does anybody else have a story? I mean, we can talk about the widespread so, logic. Oh, so control we should follow plot. up. We should follow up on Circle CI probably yeah. because we let's we, like, go ahead. Follow- take it. Take Circle yeah. CI. I think that's Ralph's so thing for sure. We got yeah, we got some more info, and it's gonna shock you. Does anyone want to just like randomly predict what? Take a guess. Wait, let's put Wade on the spot. It was worse Wade. than we Wait, thought it was. You put me Wade. on the spot. I haven't yeah, been putting, here for two okay. weeks. I don't even no. know what this is about. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's that's fine. You're smart. You're a smart person without a mustache anymore but um <laughs> so basically let's say you're a seek uh ci developer management platform okay you got popped how did you get popped just take a crack at it uh my salesperson got fished no but no, close no uh, who, who else would be close, who else is the really really people you the should C- worry about okay the, the ceo right one of no, the uh no. someone with a lot of permissions Lots the successive permissions the, the help desk no the developers the developers are the worst developers 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 you made developers, on wade but i thought you did a good job good options yeah. So yeah. It's not, so it's Ralph, not like what, I do this I, for a living. <laughs> well, yeah. Exactly. You're good at this. You, you. We should make an article about you. Uh, so what Bloom, actually Bloom happened? Onion, here we go. What? What? What happened? Oh yeah. So the uh, what do you call it? The developer got fished. Um, we're not exactly sure how he got fished. It doesn't really matter. They compromised his host. They use his session tokens uh, so that they could bypass two factor. Um, and kind of uh, exfilled everything after that, right? So once they got into their account, they also extracted some, um, I guess, C- our Circle CI said that their uh, data was encrypted at rest, but they extracted encryption keys from the host. It's kind of like once you're on the host, the game's over, right? If you don't detect or get, you know, figure out that, um, you know, this attack is going on, you know, game's over. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, The engineer could generate yes. keys. The and engineer had permission. He had a lot of access. Yes, yeah. exactly. So. so this comes down to like, and I don't know if anyone has a hot take on this, but like, how do you limit the permissions of your engineers? Like, is it is it a whole prod dev staging QA environment yeah. thing? Is it just yep. a general permissions management thing? Because like, I will say like, you do have to have someone who can break and fix all the things, right? Or do you not? Separation of uh, duties, right? That's the biggest part. 
Uh, you have to lay down that baseline for each one of them to understand what each one of them is doing. And then if, if you're into detection, trying to build detections around that, because I'm going to tell you right now, if anybody uses one of those dev tools, we would never know like if it was for malicious cause. And then of course, like you said, like uh, just having the checks and balances that no one can push, no one can pull without okays to and from stuff. So that would be my first thought on how to defend against it. And then of course, building alerts to then look for anything being pulled out or exfiltrated in mass. Cause I'm sure guarantee you they pulled everything out in mass and not one bite at a time. It rarely so, happens. Yeah. So that's a lot of really good info. And I feel like the other thing that maybe was a opportunity here is like, you have this sort of single point of failure for your encryption at rest, which is like, that's your like break glass in case of breach savior. Right. Um, so I feel like maybe building some alerting around specifically that API or whatever's being used to manage the access keys for your at rest encryption like that could be useful. The other thing that came to mind and I've encountered this on testing is anomaly detection within sessions. So like detecting, effectively detecting session replays of like, if I go on your computer and I steal your browser, unless I'm originating from your actual browser context, having like a, an additional detection for, you know, the, the browser context has switched, which obviously we don't know what they did. They could have <sighs> that, been using his actual browser context, but um, you know, if I, if I really take your hard. session cookie and I plug it into like a Russian IP, it should trigger many alerts, right? So, so yeah. what, what I've seen though, is usually what happens is they'll take those session cookies and then do, was it socks proxy and then just mm -hmm. run through your computer. So then you would right. not be able to tell. No, and you then, can. It would okay. It's well, very. It's be. Right. It makes it much more hard for that detection, right? And then exactly. some, most of the time, they'll just use the same browser as use as well. So then, even right. detecting a different browser, um, sometimes like host name or something like that will get leaked. But it should be fingerprinted then, the session, right? Like the yeah. session itself should be fingerprinted uniquely. Proxying, wait, this browser proxying thing. I think initially it was discovered by Dan Kaminsky. Um, where you could do arbitrary forwarding to any port. The browser has basically fixed that issue to make it so your browser can only proxy to known web ports. But as far as like proxying through someone's existing browser session, that's been in the browser exploitation framework from Wade Alcorn for, I want to say, a decade now. Or is this yeah. something else? It, no, you're right. It's, it is. No, it's same thing. Well, we're speculating. We don't. We don't know yeah. what it actually is. That that toolkit is present. However, there are companies like Okta or other that try to do session fingerprinting and detect those kinds of proxying attacks. The, the other it's yeah. difficult. The other piece of this too is that um, obviously we're talking about on the on the same host, right? And we're like how hard that might be to you know if you're using their browser mm -hmm. and so on and so forth, right? Um, but also uh, implementing you know conditional access on the host so that they can't do anything outside. I know that Corey brought up detection, but you shouldn't even be able to attempt to connect to yeah. one of these services without already being uh, you know going through a conditional access control that like actually you know bring on board the device to even be able to connect to that uh, you know website yeah. right? regardless yeah. of guys, session, guys, right? guys, these are all wonderful technical solutions, but you're failing to recognize a very core and critical issues. Developers do not like to be chained in. Oh, I, oh, speaking yeah. as a former developer, I mean, people who um, they're in the, the development and they get really pissy when you wind up 
taking away their admin privileges, limiting them in any way. We went through this over and over again in multiple companies that I was with. Getting any type of admin access, they need to understand the risk, not just that it makes their lives easier. And that's something that all of our training, all of our preparation for developers who are learning how to code, they never get that. Well, and 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 honestly, whenever I'm like when I was doing expert decision support with IONS, um, one of the big things that we always recommended was treat your developers like they have the plague. Like your developers, these types of people that need that level of access, and it's almost impossible to completely restrict it and get job like get work done is the best thing you can do is literally just put them in their own separate segmented network that does not have access to the rest of the corporate network. They access their email through webmail. They're completely on their own. Um, and, and try to set it up that way is ultimately what and Eric just nailed it. Full rights to dev, full rights and dev, not production. production. Yeah. 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 But even yeah, that, by the way, I want to make it clear that everything I just described is still crappy, right? Because if your sensitive stuff is your intellectual property that you're developing, you're basically washing your hands and saying, we can't protect that. Yeah. So it is, uh, I think Eric just said, it's, there's seldom a technological solution to a behavioral problem. And I don't even think it's a behavioral problem. It's just when information security runs up against what the business needs to do to write checks then at that point, something's going to give and it's going to be security almost every single time. So you do the best you can, right? So well, one of the things I want to add in on this, because Bronwyn mentioned as a developer, I just came from working with secure pipelines, right? And I think a lot of modern development process has solved for this a little bit in that everything that I teach my students is about collusion. I uh -huh. want to force the bad guys, the bad people, to collude. And the way I teach it in class is I always say, it's very difficult to walk up to someone and say, hey, um, want to commit crimes together? Like that, it doesn't work like that. So when you go through and you build a modern pipeline that says, hey, I'm going to have the ability to push code in, but it's going to go through all these checks, and then there's going to be an approver, and there's going to be someone who merges it, and it goes this way, but never this way, um, you generally have much better outcomes. You take what people have mentioned in chat. You say you can have access to dev. You can push into prod, but you're going to go through all of these mechanisms and these approvals, and someone's going to hopefully get an eye on it. Now, is that perfect? Absolutely not. But if you at least set up those tools and mechanisms, I found that developers don't mind being, quote, chained down as much if it's if a lot of their work ends up getting automated through the pipeline. So I, I would be really interested to see how CircleCI actually manages their pipeline, their secrets. And then the last point I would make is their data. You can give developers access, full access and development, but if you do not have an appropriate sanitized data set, uh, then it doesn't matter if they steal the data from production. They can just steal it from development. You've just got two repositories of risk there. So sanitize the data, have a data set that developers can work from, an appropriate pipeline, and uh, force people to collude when they want to do bad things. Generally, you solve those issues, or at least you get close. Mm -hmm. I love yes. how Ian literally just described how to recruit people to Black Hills Information Security. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go commit crimes together? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you so. have passed. <laughs> so, so speaking of developers, 
uh, there's a pretty funny article that's like it, it oh, almost reads it, it's almost like it's almost like an urban legend. It's like how a single developer dropped AWS costs by ninety percent and then disappeared. This like, one's pretty good. This one's pretty good. This like, is like the equivalent of like a heist movie. It's like the nerdiest heist movie. No, this is a secret on how to actually save ninety percent on your bill. You just have to click. Uh, you know, passed into the article, you know. So, yeah. So, okay. So, basically, the article, it's on Medium, and, it, like, this is unverified. Like, the, the, you know. Yes. Of course, it leads with, for NDA reasons, I can't tell the name or the industry. Um, but, yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> I love the free- picture, by the way. Yeah, right. So the the story, and I'm just kind of shooting from the hip here. So a freelance developer contacted the per- the company and said, "Hey, open up his trench coat and said, I can save your cloud bill. I by got a Google Chrome extension for you. I can cut ninety percent off your AWS bill. That was the pitch. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's obviously sounds too good to be true. And basically, and here, and like here's the other thing. Here's the ultimative. In this briefcase, I will take a single fifty thousand dollar paycheck if I succeed. Yes, or zero if I don't. So this it's is like, how you know this is a scam. <laughs> well, okay. So this is like this is the equivalent of like if you're setting up a contest. It's you know you set the rules very clearly. So like yes. if I just delete all your assets, doesn't that save you ninety percent anyway? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was a cheap bet, you know. Obviously, of course, it's like, well, I lose nothing. Every business person is going to take that, right? Like, oh, you mean there's a free trial? I'm in. Um, so uh, basically, no commits were done anywhere. <laughs> except the chrome extension <laughs> yes they so in in the article they were using a chrome extension to do some of their like processing in the cloud to do some ai stuff and i guess the cost was about 100 grand a month right just in that and uh the chrome extension was the only thing that um was uh kind of like user interaction right so like instead of just like it, it, it did require some user interaction to start the data process right and so they changed the Chrome extension, right? Well, so well, the, yeah. So the engineer, the 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 anonymous masked engineer, master. figured out where the majority of the cost center was, and then committed a bunch of code into it. That code contained a nice little file called accounts.yaml, which <laughs> which what 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 did this account have? Oh, uh, it's a hundred or sorry, a million Google accounts. Yes. <laughs> They they stole Google accounts, well, or created right. Created, so I think yeah. it's created, created. I'm so, under so, like trials. All, so it's what, like you GCP so, tons of demo accounts and yes, spreading the using a yes. million demo accounts to save on the bill, right? So oh basically, it's like yeah, I've saved you ninety percent of your cost by moving all your data processing to trial Google accounts. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's the thing. They yeah. So basically. Uh, there's kind of a business miscommunication here where like the, the IT guy who was paying the bill was like, well, I guess you did it. And no one like, <laughs> no one checked the code. No one, so they, no one asked why. So how. they paid him out. Cause they're like, yeah, you're right. I just got the bill. Wow. Good job. <laughs> 10 oh, out of 10. Man. Five stars. Five uh, stars. Yeah, and they keep reading, keep reading because after a while, right. Once. So, yeah. The happy IT director wanted to give more assignments to this genius. He's like, what else can we trial? Can we have all of our clients be trial accounts too? Um, which is Twitter. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> so it, it dies, right? Like Bronwyn said, 
Spoil- uh-huh. Spoiler alert, Google's like, hold on, why are we loading up 90K in processing <laughs> fees for some random company on trial accounts with a million trial accounts? Yes. Uh, so basically, whether this was an API abuse, you know, this is going to get patched by Google because it's literally money just flying out the door, right? Yeah. And they eventually, you know, put in the fraud detections and figured out all the fake accounts. And, and then guess what? The workload got moved back to AWS. Because mm. that's how so, it had to go. In a weird way, though, he did save them some money for a little while. Probably more than the 50000 they paid. Just saying. That, yeah, I guess Google would have to go after them and be like, hey, you can't use a million <laughs> trial accounts. I, I, but I can't help but think. I can't help but think that there's an IT manager that's reading this article and is bringing it up in his next meeting with his oh. developers. And they're like, this guy clearly did this. How are we going to do this? And they're like, sir, that's, that's illegal. That's but still, he feel. did it. How would we actually go about doing that? It's illegal. Is it in the budget? Is it in the budget? Is it in the budget? There is one way. The other, the funny thing, service violation. Would you like to come commit crimes with me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So exactly, I like that's the fate. That's like the official title of the episode is "Would you like to come commit crimes with me?" But yeah, that's basically the IT directive for 2023: commit crimes, save 90 percent. Yes, that's just how you lower IT costs. You steal. My, my I'm available as a CISO. <laughs> just hit me up. I got great advice. CISO, okay. here we go. Yeah, I, I have to ask, I have to ask for the other graders in the audience. Am I the only one that when I read this article, I thought, gee, this is like the new variation on phone freaking? Mm-hmm. Oh, like nope. hopping through oh. PBXs? No, we're she's old. talking about just like stealing free, you know, minutes. Stuff, oh, like, yeah, like, yeah, getting yeah, free yeah. calls, yeah. right? Like using trials, like whatever. Using, people are like yeah. diving to Google well, things, the Wikipedia pages from the eighties. Yeah, I mean, this it's different. In, it's it's different in in implementation, but similar in spirit. Which is the big companies mm-hmm. have infinite resources. Let's take yeah. advantage of their infinite resources and somehow also profit at the same time. Well, yeah, and they can do it. I wonder if the old freakers are voice of IP engineers now. <laughs> no, they're GC, they're GCP engineers. GCP. <laughs> that's, that's how they get that free, sweet, sweet compute time. They, actually, you know, they there can reduce you your cloud costs by ninety percent if you're one. Yes, <laughs> for a month at least. That, that John made about there's some manager, some IT manager somewhere. Oh my god, yeah. And, and, yeah, no, that is so true because I've been at not just small companies. You've been in those meetings. But I have been in those meetings. I've 100% <laughs> been in those meetings with the CTO going, yeah, but what if we just kept using the trial of the software and just, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, did a snapshot once a month and then and redid it? No. And I'm like... I- yeah, I mean, technically that would work. Uh, it would be illegal and would be against yeah. the terms of service and the contract and the end user license agreement ethics. I mean, what? I think you're in ethics. Um, Get out of here. You're fired. Like, <laughs> <seriously. laughs> yeah, like the serious like, example, and I think we had something that came up in the show that was similar where like you remember eval licenses where people mm-hmm. like there were companies. Uh, I remember yeah. literally that they had interns that would go through and reset their servers so they would basically be able to use the trial licenses for Microsoft Windows further mm-hmm. into the future. And you know, if you go back to Bashir and uh, Nanzance in Iran, like they were taking people were taking pictures and they were running eval versions of Windows XP. You know, which leads me into Stuxnet in the next article. 
that I want to talk about, but no, like it's seriously for a long time, companies were constantly like, is it possible for you to go on LimeWire and find a cracked version the of this enterprise software? That happened all the freaking time. So E-donkey. I've been, my, my recent OSINT, my, my recent OSINT passion has this, has led me to this conclusion, which is, the fastest and most effective way to get compromised is to go after pirated software. Like yes, the number of the, like seriously, <laughs> if you if you if you think that you can download pirated software without getting a virus, go walk through a minefield. Oh, like seriously, it is that <laughs> yes. bad. Like it, so you will not happen. Years, so years and years ago, like when I first started pen testing on my own, which would have been like 2006. I wrote a little program where you could basically look at all the file sharing services and you could see who is sharing files from what IP address ranges. You could correlate that back to your customer's IP range for egress. And you could literally see what files the computer systems on the inside of that network were sharing. Um, it was only one test, but I was able to get access to every single file on one computer. And that was that was pretty flipping sweet the one time at work. Then you just got to so, make a song called Weird Al Yankovic dot MP3 dot EXE and they would definitely download it and then you oh, have yeah. a shell. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, so yeah, the other thing that's really funny in, in the comment and chat, this is what we call a loophole. Yeah. The problem is when the provider fixes the glitch. You're like, <laughs> oh, you're so done. There's, yeah. there's a million trial accounts. That's one line of code. Goodbye. Your business operations have ground to a halt. And this is how Twitter's I'm API giving, went down. <laughs> oh, you're giving AOL vibes right now. AOL. I want to, folks, let's move on. I want to talk about the uh, Siemens story, though, just to keep moving. Otherwise, we get stuck on stories. Uh, uh, it's a wired article. Right widespread Did logic control raises the specter of Stuxnet. The gift that keeps so this, on giving. This story... This Don't story kind of pisses me off. So they start out by talking about Stuxnet and how bad it was. And literally the only correlation between these two is they both impacted PLCs. But even that analogy breaks down because Stuxnet didn't infect the PLC and infected the computer system that was controlling the PLC, which seems like a distinction without a difference. But and... with Stuxnet, you could spread it through normal file shares, uh, link, um, abuse there was i can't remember keyboard USB. layout vulnerabilities it could spread through windows computer systems is basically what stuxnet did it had four separate zero days this particular story and what kind of makes me frustrated about this story is this um security research company red balloon found a vulnerability in the way that the uh, siemens um logic controller what is an s7 1500 plcs deals with crypto so you could basically install malware on it which once again Totally sounds horrible, but it requires physical access to the device for you to be able to launch this attack. Now, I really, truly, completely understand that these things are embedded, they're everywhere on air gap networks, but the threat profile is literally you have to gain access to the, the physical PLC itself to do this type of attack. And there's part of me, it's just like, this is a little bit overboard from clickbait like siemens isn't even going to fix it they're going to update the way that they do their code going forward yeah. but i'm going to throw this out there like if you're new to the industry and you're reading something it's like requires physical access to a device the moral of the story in computer security is if i have physical access to your devices you are screwed it doesn't matter how doesn't matter what the actual machinations of it are you're hosed 
So I don't see how this increases the risk profile much greater than if somebody had normal physical access to the device. So I'd like to give you all's opinion on it, but reading it, it was just one of those things where I read it, they're talking about Stuxnet. I'm like, well, this sounds horrible. And then I get further down and it's like, no, you have to have physical access it, to the device to be able so, to. Yeah. In the this world, did they have somewhere on the PLC? So this, this actually. No, I said, no, I'm, I'm literally was reading what Eric just said. And this is true. Physical access is root access. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, so this I think this this actually sets the record uh, if you read between the lines for the most expensive pen test of all time. Like it says they <laughs> took a year to write a protocol to figure out how to talk to the PLC. A year? It took a year to Ooh, <laughs> like uh, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong, I'm not a great programmer, it would take me more than a year. But like this like I guess what I would say is if it takes the best man a, on it. If it, yeah, if it, right. If it takes, I don't know what red balloon security has never heard of it. I don't know what the name means. I, but like a year, if, if you give me, if you give me anything on the planet in a year of time, the chances that I find a vulnerability are incredibly high. Like a year, that's, that's sort of ridiculous amount of time. So like, I guess what I would say is I'm with John on this one. Like this is, this is a headline generator because it's, it's everyone's, you know, favorite article about oh, PLCs are vulnerable. Yeah. You know, I think John hit the nail on the head with story, like physical access though. Balloon. Right. Like What's the, that, uh, can you hear me? Am I low? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, I remember working at a data center, and I think I'm like going back on my Linux. I can't remember booting into single user mode and then just uh-huh. rewriting the password and going in. Like, you're right. boom, you're root. Yeah. Once I learned that, I'm like, oh, once you have physical access to anything, you actually have absolute access. It doesn't matter anymore. I, mean, I think that's one models. thing a lot of people don't know about. There is, are like, threat models that, that incorporate physical access, yeah, and then the use TPM cases are mainly IoT devices. Like, you know, if, if, it, you shouldn't be able to get physical access to an iPhone and compromise the entire thing. Like that is literally Apple spends billions of dollars making sure that isn't the case. And yes, there are vulnerabilities in that, but sometimes you do build physical access into your threat profile. I think if you're building PLCs, what is the, what is the, what is the threat pro or threat model that has PLCs exposed to the public? It, like physical access to PLCs is public. I mean, there are like kiosks and stuff, but like, I'd like to remind everyone that like PLCs are attached to RTUs, which are just windows. Like John said, they're like, they're, they're plugged yeah. into something that has a USB yeah. port. So but, why spend a year reverse engineering the firmware? Yeah, what you can John just... was saying is they went after the computer and stuck net. Right. Yeah. Like that's still true. It's, it's like, not like it's they still stopped. true today. And yeah, you're yeah. right. Like, and what are you going to so, do? Like, you're going to replace not, every firmware on like every PLC <laughs> inside. They're like, hey, we're going to do it tonight, they, guys. They're not even releasing an update for it. Like, see, you have to get, more like, nope, not fixing that. Well, you have to replace all your PLCs so you use non-made in China PLCs anyway. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, all right. Let's get some from the non-made China PLC. I really want to give some props to Red Balloon. Okay, so if I was rewriting this, okay, and like they were doing a press release, and I was in charge of trying to release this to the public they wrote something that reverse engineers this plc code that's badass like that's really freaking cool right that should be something they should release possibly some parts of it open source and that does great marketing for your company right it shows that your company has this ability to reverse engineer this code you have written tools you're releasing to the public Mm -hmm. good for you you're going to get lots of work if your goal was to release an exploit to showcase that, and you're basically like, if someone gets physical access to this box, they can do bad things. 
you haven't moved the needle. So I'm going to give them props because I'm sure that there's amazing work that went into this and my hat's off to them from a technical perspective. And I would strongly encourage anybody that's looking for PLC security assessments, go talk to them because that shows badass skills. But this story is just for me, it's, 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 it's a non-story because once again, physical access means root access every single time. But what about yeah, that? and that's going to be an expensive test for a year of yeah. reverse engineering. I want more of those tests, right? Like, <laughs> of course, you do. Can you do it? Yeah. 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 Sure. Like, I have a question and I have a statement. Uh, so the, this S seven fifteen hundred PLCs. I haven't done any research into them. The only the only place where I might even raise a, a caveat to what you said, John, is how are these S seven fifteen hundred PLCs being marketed? Are they being marketed as a device that you can put in a, uh, in, in a in a facility or an area that doesn't have additional security? Like you could have it in some other you know pump station or something like that that doesn't necessarily have all the additional security to stop someone from getting in. Or no. trying to be the somewhere answer else. is no. no. Like, I'm going to show so a picture of this with you. I'm going to share my yeah, screen. I'm yeah, share, on eBay share, right share, now. So what John's going to show, show you. Yeah, now, the just PLC itself. Right here. <laughs> it has a touch screen. Yeah. yeah. Is this something Jeez. you want exposed to the general public? You have to get at it. You have to do a, do you have to do a code to get in? It's up, up, down, down, if left, you, left. If left. you press down, that turns off the centrifuge. <laughs> well, if you do select start, it starts. Um, yeah. So just looking at it, the fact that there's a screen and buttons on yeah. it. Yeah. You're not going to put it in the main lobby of a McDonald's. Yeah. Also, you know, I'd like... One thing to keep in mind about PLCs is it all maps probably on some level to voltage and voltage is a wire that comes out of something that you can do things with. Like if, if the PLC closes the circuit, there's other ways to close the circuit that don't involve going to the PLC or if the PLC, yeah. you know, if it's using Modbus or whatever it is, you can just mm -hmm. tap into that wire and do whatever you want to do. And you don't like if, if with physical access, you know, anyway, so, and then wait, so the one of the once again, I'm feeling nostalgic. So an example would be if you had something like, let's say, a cash like machine, like an ATM. Mm -hmm. uh, years ago, I was I was on an assessment, and the people I was working with showed me a, a, an ATM machine that they were testing, and you could adjust the voltage. They got the little box that you could plug in, and you could adjust the voltage, and you could make it go down to where it's browning out, which would cause the ATM machine to flicker on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off very, very, mm -hmm. very quickly. And in doing that, you literally could put the ATM machine into a diagnostic mode. After it saw itself boot on and off multiple times, it's like something's really bad. I'm going to go straight into diagnostic mode. And there was literally functions where you could say purge cash from machine, <laughs> kind of like see load letter. It would be like dollar bills yeah, are stuck him. up in there. Just eject them. So, you know, it, once again, the, the threat model matters, right? So if we were talking about this firmware attack and it was something that was in cash machines, yes, this would be a really big deal, Right. But once again, I don't think that these S7 1500s are something you're going to put out in the open like a cash machine. Yeah, and and having done a bunch of tests, like I've done a bunch of retail tests, we've I've never delivered a report to a client. Like I did a bunch of self-checkout machines, price checkers, kiosks, check-in, all that kind of stuff. We've never told a client like 
just every client we give findings to, they're like, yeah, this thing's going to be babysat, whether it's security cameras, a physical person there that's babysitting these devices. Like no one is like planning a threat model around like, oh yeah, our self checkout machines, they're just like accessible to the general public with no monitoring. No, like, like yeah. that's never going to, cause people, it's not even about security. People are just going to start stealing the thing. Like it's <laughs> like people, it's going to be, oh, this is a computer. I'm going to, this is mine. Like, so oh. Yeah, Did you guys hear about the McDonald's hack on the self checkout where they figured out that you could like buy like a bunch of cheeseburgers for and then for no money if you like if you went through Isn't that it the whole and then... business model of McDonald's to buy a <laughs> yeah. bunch of that, yes no yes but for even cheaper all right so that's if you have physical access once again the guy figured out if you like take away the bun add a meat patty take away a what? bun add a meat patty it subtracts it, more money and then you actually get stuff for free why is Did it he actually that bring back the McRib again <laughs> you brought the McRib back there's a secret Szechuan sauce crab. Morty bring back the Szechuan sauce Morty <laughs> I do want to make one statement before we move on to the next story, because if you heard any of this ICS stuff and you said, those, those people, I, I want to argue with them face to face. Well, you should come out to S4 in Miami, the 12th through the 14th, where uh, myself and Deb and, and the fine people at Dragos will be demoing the new ICS card deck. And if you want to talk to us about backdoors and breaches and say, your, your hot takes on PLCs are wrong, bald man, I'll be there. Wow. Wow. Wait, 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 is this, is this one of those decks? That's one of those decks. Oh, I turned my autofocus off. Yeah, we call it teal. Oh, it doesn't look as good because I don't have a mustache, but you know, it still looks pretty good. Yeah, but. it's true. It's true. Top Gun was so in. <sighs> it was great. All right. So what's the, somebody picked the can, final story. Yeah, None of these so can we talk about the the biggest data broker in the world getting upset at other data brokers. Let's do that. <laughs> oh, yes. This is relevant to my interests. That is such a good way to introduce this article. Okay. So Ralph, explain what you're at. That was the best intro, but what is this actually? <laughs> so Facebook or Meta, because they had to rebrand because of bad, you know, stuff. Anyways, um, they they're upset. <laughs> Here's the general gist: they're upset that other companies are scraping data off their data scraping service and then selling it to other people as scraped data. Um, so yeah, that's the general gist of what's going on here. So I, I, okay, I love so. This. I'm not I love a lawyer. This story so much, but this this has gone to court many times and no one's ever won. Right. Like LinkedIn did the same thing. LinkedIn said, yeah, because lost. by the way, like the whole cottage industry, like zoom info leads, all these like lead sites, yeah. all they do is just scrape. That's all yeah, they do. That's all, that's They're not they like calling business and being like, well, give us your Rolodex and we'll send you a gift basket. Like, no, they're just scraping. So like, uh, this, this has gone to court many times. No one's ever managed to win. So I guess I'm just like, why why take it to court well, i'm very surprised let me let me kind of clarify the difference in these right um so how can i put this if you as far as the department of justice is concerned if you are scraping data from a website utilizing the same fields as a normal human being with a browser would use you're probably okay Right. You're clearly violating the terms of service, but it's going to be really hard for them to like get that in court where the court gives them gives them money. Right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. From uh, compensatory damages. If you are finding exposed APIs that are not the same APIs that a normal human would use, i.e. like a browser port, but you're finding some weird S3 way of doing the scrape. 
then you are very much in trouble at that point. So the Capital One case, this was like the core of the defense for the Capital One case, is they were basically saying she was just scraping the data from the website the way a normal person would be able to do that. And that was total BS because a normal human being would never have the ability to actually pull that out um, with a standard browser. So there is a difference. But the thing that you mentioned, like LinkedIn on this one, it sounds to me like they're using standard web protocols that every mm-hmm. user can use everywhere. But, and yeah, it's uh, very hard to prove that legally so, that you're actually causing damages. Yes. And yeah, well, totally. If you look at, if you look at the description of the lawsuit, um, one of the things that is telling is they say Meta is claiming, making the claim mm-hmm. that Voyager developed and used proprietary software. And in addition, they used a diverse set of computers and networks in different countries. Yeah, so they have 350,000 users. Yeah, but it's not Sheesh. just the the scraping of data it's also the deliberate attempt to hide their activity and and to do it in a uh manner that involves subterfuge so but here's the deal as far as the courts are concerned as far as the courts are concerned like your terms of service don't mean garbage to the courts. Mm, right? There's no law but that says you can't look in someone's shoulder. Right. So thing. that's number in one. Number two. But, but the other thing that they that they say, and, and this is how the courts have got to look at this, is how can you differentiate this from a normal user accessing that data? Now, if a normal user can access that data one click at a time. It's very difficult for the courts to say, well, clicking on it one at a time, that's legal. Doing it in an automated way, well, that's where the line is drawn and you can't do that. Courts don't like to make that distinction um, mm-hmm. like at all. So if you're going through a normal web protocol, like a normal web user would, and you can access that data through a few simple clicks and you do that in court, the courts mm-hmm. really, really, really don't look at that as much of a distinction, whether you're doing it in an automated fashion or you're doing it as a human being. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that, but whether you like it or not, that's seriously the way that courts look at it is, Mm. you know, what are they doing now? If they were, once again, if they're accessing APIs, they're abusing vulnerabilities and they're doing it horse of a completely different company. Mm -hmm. Here's the the normal way that a human would, you're probably going to get away with it. But all they need is one precedent. All they need to do is establish. And they've been trying for years. So, So. yes, that is that is probably the play. Right. Because I I will say, like, I do understand on a core level, like the the hypocrisy that Ralph pointed out is essentially the world's largest data broker or one of the world's largest data brokers, a.k.a. Facebook, where you can go and say, I would like to purchase an ad, which will contain malware, possibly, which I'd (laughs) like to target it to a 22 year old female living in Uzbekistan who likes you know, milkshakes. And they're like, no problem. This matches a thousand people. Here's all their names and phone numbers. Oops, sorry. Did we tell you the phone numbers? That was an Do, accident. Does anyone <laughs> remember though in 2018 when Facebook users were uh, being years of phone data, metadata was being collected from Facebook off of Android phones, not in the terms of service, but Facebook was doing that. It's a hypocrisy of the whole thing. That's what killed yeah, me. Yeah, and, and they, they're willing like, to sell you it. If you want to buy an ad, the data is all yours. If you want to just make your own business model based on their business model not cool 
Get um, out of here. Yeah, yeah uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to see the, the biggest thing that, and Bronwyn brought this up too. So manipulation of the users that they're trying to target, like, because this is, I have a lot of per- personal firsthand experience scraping Facebook, but um, or, I mean, totally not for legal no, purposes, yeah, just speculation. Um, <laughs> clearly, but, clearly yeah, all like, done uh, under the ruse of total authorization from our yeah. customers. Yeah, so, so basically like the, <laughs> the, the thing that'll come, that'll be interesting to see in court is like, if they did try to manipulate people into approving friend requests or like impersonate their friends or something like that, like that, if you have a private profile, if it's all public, they're probably not going to get canned but if it's private i could see it like if it's like i had a completely private profile and someone made an account that like looks like my mom and like friend requested me now it's getting into like well you're impersonating u.s citizens or you're impersonating mm-hmm. you know that's where i could see the line being drawn but like if it's all public and it's like oh well the other thing is if you have your profile information on the public i mean isn't that what public means like i i i, I whatever could could yeah. this just be facebook like punishing voyager labs and just being like hey you're gonna yes. have to spend a totally. shit ton of legal fees that's all i thought this was it's was a just parasite like, it's here's it here yeah bopping them on the head we can yes. we can spend all this legal fees you can't totally. maybe you'll go under what i'm hoping this company does is go bankrupt and just start up a new company with a different name <laughs> call it like Nita scraping the, the, the best way yeah. scenario is they release Rah, all the files. Voyager Labs. Oops, Give I gotta, me the JSON. I gotta get out of here, guys. I got a phone call I've been waiting on. I'll right. see you guys Peace. tomorrow. Make sure you know Whenever who it is before, before you answer. Linux, everybody. Yeah. Watch for voice spoofing. Yeah, if it doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah, Some like, say I'm that. the biggest scraper in town. Yeah. Show me how big you are. Can I have your data set? Give me your data set. Just send it how over. Many, I can, uh, how many petabytes is it? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's got to be petabytes. But yeah, um, I think that's a good I, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it unless anyone else has any comments. We'll have to we'll follow along. Hopefully some real lawyers on YouTube talk about what's actually going to happen because this has come in court many times and it's never worked for the company that's suing. But we'll yeah, see. it is funny. Uh, though, well, they do make a lot of accounts just to uh, hide themselves, but they're like, you can't do that. You can't make too many accounts that you must be 300,000 sock puppets. Like I can only imagine how much of a nightmare. And I can tell you like on Facebook, there's actually uh, like a lot of mechanisms in place to detect this kind of activity. Yes, exactly. Like they actually can, because this is their monetization model. They actually put a lot of resources into detecting this kind of stuff, detecting like scraping, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So it is like, this company was doing some weird stuff. So Alrighty. all right. I feel like uh I feel like that's as good a place as any to call it. Uh yep, thanks yep, everyone sure. for coming. That's and sure. um thanks all the viewers. It's I hope you have a good week. I hope you have a good day. And uh we'll be back next week with another episode. See you guys then. Peace. Later.